Hey everyone, welcome back to Rewildology, where we explore conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, conservation biologist and globetrotter. If you're anything like me, you love visiting national parks. Many vacations have been planned around these protected tracts of land, and some of our greatest travel memories were formed here. I'm also sure that once or twice you interacted with a park ranger, hopefully in a positive way and not because you were doing something you shouldn't have been. Have you wondered how these people become rangers? What does this job actually entail? And what should someone do when the park's budget is cut by 80% and you lose three jobs in a row? This week's guest, Jesse Weiland, answered these questions and more. He takes me through his rather unique path into becoming a park ranger in the Rocky Mountains, losing three ranger jobs in a row to COVID, and launching an outdoor education company called Rugged Research along with other Rocky Mountain National Park rangers. If any of you are considering entering the National Park Service or are currently looking for a role in the conservation field, you will not want to miss this episode. Jesse's story is full of hope, determination, and finding a way to monetize his environmental science master's degree when all other options were lost. If you're liking the show, please hit the follow button and share with someone you think would enjoy this episode. Sharing is the best way to help the show grow. And now onto my conversation with Jesse. Awesome, Jesse. Thank you so much for coming on. So excited to have you on because also your particular path that you've been down, I haven't really had a chance to explore with anybody. So really excited to get to know you and and why you've gone down your journey. So just to start, um, I know that was a little bit of an introduction, but just make a quick introduction of who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Jesse Wyland. I have been a park ranger, an outdoor educator, a wildlife researcher, and now I am the director of an outdoor education group organization called Rugged Research. And basically what that is, is we're based in Rocky Mountains in Northern Colorado. And we, it's kind of like forest school. Uh, we kind of take kids out and me and a group of park rangers, it's all kind of ranger talks and ranger walks. And we meet them, you know, we have like a, a course, an eight week, 12 week course, summer programs. And it's kind of just a ranger led outdoor education for kids three to 12. Wow. Yeah. Good on you. I love kids, but I don't know if I could do it with a group. That, I thought the exact same thing, but we'll get into that more of how yes. I, I didn't ever think that this is what I would be doing. So it's been kind of a funny uh, series of events to get me there. Yeah. Well, actually that's, that's the perfect lead into the next thing. Um, so I was just like reading more about like your bio and stuff and you have done an insane amount of different number of things, which is so cool. <laughs> so, just, so just take me back a little bit. Yeah. When did you realize that you wanted to go into like wildlife conservation or just this field in general? So it's it's definitely not the typical story. Uh, I feel like most people are like, oh, I love the outdoors ever since I was a kid. I was always going to the forest, always like looking at stuff under a microscope or, you know, whatever. And it just wasn't the case for me at all. It, I, when I was growing up, I was totally like a jock. I was all about sports. I played baseball and basketball and lacrosse and everything was about sports and stuff. And that's really, you know, I'd go outside and my, my fun time was playing, you know, sports outside or basketball outside. And it really wasn't until college where, so I went to college to, to become a physical therapist because it kind of was in line with all of, uh, what I was, my passions were at the time. And, uh, and it just wasn't that great. I wasn't having the best time with it. I remember being like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to work with all these athletes and I'm going to, you know, work with like ACL injuries or like <laughs> one day work with like NFL stars. And then I, I was working in a hospital for a little bit and I was like, oh, it's all old people, huh? <laughs> and it's like, everybody's like 75 or above. They didn't even want to be there. They're being forced to go oh, by their no. kids. And it was just a very different experience of what I was expecting it to be. Um, I remember one time, so it was really kind of a beautiful physical therapy wing. The whole wall was just this like 20 foot high glass wall. So you can see right into this forest and I was stretching this old guy out once and he was, his stomach was down and he had a bad hamstring. So I was kind of 
imagine him lying down and I'm pulling his, his leg back and kind of like my elbow is kind of on his, his back, trying to pull it back. And he just farts in my face. And I go, <laughs> oh God. And I was, I was already like, do I want that? I was like, is this, a, I don't know if this is right for me. And like oh that, that was the moment where I was like, all right, this, this is just, I think I'm going to switch this up. And I was looking outside to the forest and I was like, I just want to be outside. This is like, this is not where I want to be anymore. Old man farts. Old man farts in my face. Your, your it, it was a pivotal moment in my, in my life. Little did that guy know that when he was passing gas, he would change my entire life. Um, so yeah, so I was in college and then, but I didn't, I knew I didn't want to do physical therapy anymore, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just remember hanging out with my friends and they put on this documentary called planet earth. And it was the first time I ever saw it. And I was like, what? (laughs) like people do this, you can do this. And I've always loved animals. I just wasn't a really an outdoors person. You could say coming up to that point, but I just remember being like, that's what I want to do. It was, it was this, a segment of like whale sharks. Mm. And I remember seeing this like scuba diver, like filming them. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And it was like sophomore year going to junior year. It was already really late. I was all doing all health courses. And um, so I go to my advisor. I'm like, Hey, so I think I want to switch my major. She was like, well, you're like really far down the path. Uh, you can, if you want to, but you're going to have to like stay for an extra year or something in college. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. So I, so for my internship, everybody in my physical therapy department was doing physical therapy internships. And I, I said to her, so maybe I could do like uh, a biology internship. She was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, maybe I can teach like environmental science somewhere. And she's like, all right, well, I don't know anything about that. So you, you get on top go of that. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I don't know. And so I reached out to this high school and I was like, just ask them, can I do an internship here teaching environmental science? And they said, yeah. And then I went, I wasn't a very good teacher. I, sh- I just really played planet earth most of the time. The kids loved it though. Uh, and that's what really kind of started me on my route down environmental science. Awesome. So after that, so I'm assuming you graduated with like a physical therapy degree. Yeah. Health and, sciences, yeah. Uh, with other than one internship in biology type thing. So after that, what did you do? Like, how'd you, I saw that you were like, you know, this biotech and Rocky Mountain and you guided in like the Mediterranean and like Mm -hmm. all kinds of other stuff. So what was next in your journey? So what was next was, yeah, I needed some experience doing something with environmental science and the, like the, the easiest way to get your foot in the door from my experiences have been, uh, environment, um, Invasive species removal. I don't know if you have any experience with that, but that is seems to be the most, the easiest way to get your foot in the door, low level, just like entry level, come on in, we'll show you what to do. Uh, there's these invasive species, you kind of just walk all over the place, spraying them and voila. So I did that and I was on the New Jersey Invasive Species Strike Team, which is probably the coolest name of a job I've ever had. Um, <laughs> I did a lot of volunteering. I worked at the Museum of Natural History in New York City doing with paleontology division, sorting little bones, which was insanely difficult. I worked for a few like nonprofits, uh, for like watershed alliances. And basically I just did all those little things that I could to to build up my resume a little bit. And so, uh, oh, another thing that I did was so it's kind of going through like an outdoor renaissance in my own life, I guess you could say at this point. And I decided that I wanted to move to Hawaii. So I moved to Hawaii and I worked on this farm and I did that for about a year. And then after that, I was like, okay, I think I have a, I don't know if outdoor stuff to at least apply, apply to stuff. Uh, so I wanted to be somewhere that was close to my hometown, which was in New Jersey, at least like two hours away. Cause I was home. I, I was, gone for the past year or two in Hawaii. And I wanted some place that had environmental science uh, masters. And there actually wasn't that many options. There was like three choices. There was Drexel University, there was in Philadelphia, there was Hunter in New York City. And there, I think there was one other one, but I wasn't too crazy about it. And so I just said, uh, I'm just gonna apply to Drexel. We'll see what happens. Um, I don't know exactly what I wanna do yet. I'll worry about that later. So I applied, 
to Drexel and I got into their master's program and I, but I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. And I remember thinking, I remember I was sitting at work because I was, I was working at this gym at the time before uh, grad school started. And I remember kind of being like, oh shoot, I have no idea what I want to actually do with this major or this master's. So I called up Drexel. I called up their environmental science uh, person or whatever it is. And I said, hey, just, just, uh, I just applied and I got in. And I was just wondering what kind of stuff do people do with this degree anyway? <laughs> and the, the woman went, you already applied and you already got in? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, that sounds like something you should have researched before. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, it's probably a good point. And I was thinking, yeah, I'm sure she's going to, you know, kind of laugh it off and tell me like, oh, well, you know, there's some different rats you can go down. You can do this, this. But then she kind of just stopped there. And it got really awkward. And I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll talk Thanks. to you later. She's like, yeah, she's like, okay, bye. And I was like, oh, geez, I don't know what I'm doing at all. But anyway, so I got into Drexel. I started taking the classes. And um, I was talking to advisors about um, what they think I should do. And I remember thinking, like, you know, a master's program is like $50,000. And being like, ooh, that's a lot of money. I don't know if I want to pay for that when I can just do the PhD and then I can go here for free. And my advisor gave me the best advice ever and said, that's an awful idea. You should not just get a PhD to save 70,000, to save $50,000. And I was like, all right, fine. And so <laughs> thank God she said that to me. Um, because as I want to find out, research is not, I, I like it. Well, I'll get more into that, but um, anyway, she recommended that I look at different labs and see what research was going on. And I was just doing some research on it. There, all these different studies were going on. And Drexel actually had one of like the most amazing primatology labs in the country. The professor, Katie Gonder, actually discovered a subspecies of chimpanzee when she was like in her 30s. And it was just like a world-renowned program that went to Africa every year to study chimpanzees and primates. And I was like, yep, sign me up for that. <laughs> That sounds awesome. I'll do that. So I I went to them. I talked to them, interviewed or whatever, and they were like, "Yeah, join the join the lab." And they were uh, basically saying, "You can do this. Make it a thesis or a non-thesis program. Thesis, you have to you know do this whole report and paper and everything, or you can do it a non-thesis masters and just kind of help us with the research." I was like, "Yeah, that sounds even better. Like I don't have to do like." Basically, when I was talking to my advisor, she was saying, you know, unless you really want to be in academia or be, you know, in science and data collection, then then it's really good to have a, a research background. But I just kind of wanted to have the fun part of it, you know, of going out into the field, like looking for chimpanzees. Like that sounds like a fun day. Uh, I, I was I would help them with all the research and papers that they were doing. And it was tough stuff. It was really difficult. And I just remember thinking like, I'm so happy. I am a non-thesis master's right now. And I just get to like go to <laughs> Africa the with stuff. them. It's all the fun stuff. It's just the fun stuff. It's like when you have the cake, I like, I, I just want the frosting. The frosting is the fun <laughs> field experience. That's what I want to do. With I, the I don't want, With the sprinkles. I want the frosting and the sprinkles. I don't want to have to write this paper and do all this like database collection and like meta-analysis and statistics. Ah. Uh, so yeah, I just had a blast doing that stuff. And yeah, it was really great. Some really great adventures came from it. I uh, went to Cameroon for a month. We went to different national parks. Uh, we were tracking down, we were working with like the, some of the best uh, African chimpanzee trackers in the world. Like they, that, they work with like Oxford doing these like crazy big ah, studies and stuff. It was just so intense. It was like, these trackers were like, basically like i feel like arnold schwarzenegger or something or like jungle <laughs> commandos like like everywhere we went we had to have guys with like machine guns following us around because they were kind of dangerous areas and it was just such an interesting experience but uh, uh we had, I had such a great time and yeah it was that was my graduate school experience basically mm. so then um what then so like you graduated what then did you graduate with I guess is the best way to put that. And then what did you do after that now that you have a master's? Right. So I graduated with a master's in environmental science with a concentration in ecology and evolution. And um, so, yeah, I got my master's and, well, I was a bartender to pay my way through grad school. So I did that 
Well, I was in grad Thanks school. Thanks for bringing that up, by the way. Because I think that um, a lot of people, I, I just, uh, just really quickly, I want to throw that out there. I think a yeah. lot of people, um, especially in our field, feel badly when they're not working in the field. Um, but the, what makes the most sense is to make your ends meet, pay your bills, and then on the side, get all the experience that you need, get the degree that you need, get the experience, the volunteer time. And then the right opportunity will open up just as you, I'm so glad. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you for bringing that up. So, but yes, <laughs> keep going. I just wanted to highlight that. I didn't want that to just be thrown to the side that you're bartending at the same time. So. Oh yeah. No, I mean, yes. definitely. I mean, making all of your money from field work is not easy, especially if you're just starting, uh, you know, best examples I can think of would be, a wildlife biologist, a full-time wildlife biologist, which takes years of experience first, um, or I guess maybe like a park ranger, I guess you could kind of say, but doing like strictly field research for science all the time is, uh, man, that's gotta be like one to 5% of like our field can just support themselves that way. It's very difficult, um, uh, but I wanted to do that. That was my goal at the time, um, but yeah. Definitely uh, bartending got me through grad school. And then let's see. So I graduated from there and then, oh yeah. So then I needed a job. And then I was looking, I want, like, like you were saying, I wanted to do field research all the time. I just always wanted to be in the field. So I found this um, company, uh, I guess I'll leave the name of the company out, but they were doing um, overseas expeditions with uh, students. And there was this one, um, program there was a Hawaii research expedition and they needed instructors for it uh and so I applied for that and I got it I actually didn't know exactly what the job was until I got there I, <laughs> I was applying for a job doing research because their whole website looked like it was totally research-based and you're just doing research the whole time and like I was like okay so I'll be doing research and the students will help me I was like cool I would love to like to go out there and it was like uh, coral reef surveys, sea turtle surveys, uh, checking out uh, bird species in Hawaii, um, shark surveys, like really cool stuff. I was like, this sounds awesome. And so I went out there and then I, I learned that I was going to be an, an educator. I was going to teach them stuff and classes and all this other stuff. And I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll do that. I'm already here. Uh, <laughs> but like going back to what you were saying with how how hard it is to make money just from field work, right? So this would be a pretty ideal situation. You would think like you're in the Hawaii, in the field all the time. Uh, basically we were, it was a 10, they were 10 day trips and we were camping on the beach for the entirety of the time in Maui. And I did the math afterwards uh, of how much I got paid for that experience. And I was getting paid about, because you gotta remember I was working 24 seven. So kids would wake up in the middle of the night with problems. You'd wake up at six in the morning, have to get breakfast ready for everybody. You, you know, you go to bed, you cook dinner, you're still teaching lessons. So it's 24 seven. I was getting paid when I did the math about $2 an hour for that oh experience. Yeah. And especially in Hawaii where things are so expensive and it was just like, yeah, that's, this isn't really going to work long-term. So yeah, so that's how I ended up being an outdoor educator in Hawaii. Uh, but what happened was that's where I met my fiance, who was, there was another instructor. Uh, her name is Bree. And she was a park ranger out in the Rocky Mountains before this experience because she, she used to be a, a high school education, a high school teacher. And she brought her kids on one of these trips and she always wanted to be a teacher on it. And that's how she ended up there. But I, I met her there and I remember her basically telling me the season was ending in Hawaii. And I was like, well, geez, I need a new job now. And she was saying, well, you know, I'm a park ranger back in the Rocky Mountains. If you want to try to be a park ranger, I was like, all right, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was actually, she said, she didn't even say that much. She was like, I'm a park ranger back in Colorado. And I was like, okay. And I was like, is there anything cool, like where you're a park ranger? Like, I don't know where this is exactly. And she was like, oh, well, Rocky Mountain National Park is there in, in the county that I'm a park ranger. I was like, oh, well, that sounds amazing. And <laughs> yeah, I'm totally in for that. And so I ended up in Colorado and being a park ranger. And then I went on to 
be a biotechnician, as you said before, also, uh, which is another unique experience. And um, yeah, so should, should I keep going? I'm, I don't want to well, ramble so too long I think here. So no, 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 no. You're doing fantastic. Um, <laughs> how did you become a ranger? I know that that's a pretty general question, but I mean, if anybody's listening, like, how did you go from being an environmental educator on a beach in Hawaii to landing a ranger job, which mm-hmm. is like a government job in mm-hmm. the infamous Rocky Mountain National Park? Like that seems, at least to me, hard to do. <laughs> so like, how, how did you go about that? Sure. Yeah. So, so to be a park ranger, it's, it's very different than what most people think it is, including myself. Before I got into it, it is a very different job than what I thought it was going to be. It's totally different than what the general public thinks it is. It really is, first and foremost, a law enforcement job. Um, there are, I think what most people's experience of park rangers are interpretive talks in national parks. And when you go to a national park, you have a question like, oh, why does that mountain look like that or whatever. Oh, I don't know. Let's go ask a park ranger, stuff like that. And being a park ranger, actually, you, when, when I got there, I was like, this is going to be cool. I'm just going to like study animals, be outside, like just hang out and do chill stuff. But it was like, okay, this is a law enforcement job. You have to learn the laws. You have to, we're going to give you like these routes. You have to log everything you're doing. You have to check for this stuff. A lot of it is maintenance of the park fences that would fall down or uh, trails that would need some fixing up, uh, but like you definitely have to write people tickets. A uh, lot of lot of dog off leash tickets. Mm, uh, I can see of, that. Yeah, <laughs> which I didn't think was going to be a problem. One of my one of my interview questions was, "How do you feel about picking up other people's dog poop?" And I was like, "What?" Was this like, is I an guess. interview question. Yeah, I was like, I, I was like, okay, I'll do that. I don't really care. I just really want to be a park ranger. And they were like, okay, cool. And um, what other stuff? Um, telling people that they have to get off when they're off trail, telling them that they can't be off trail, which is a lot of people don't know. They're like, what do you mean? This is a park. I thought I could go anywhere. And there's basically this set of rules, you know, that most 95% of park goers have no idea about. And they actually, they kind of get annoyed about that you have to enforce. And uh, it was a really interesting experience. And basically, so at this point, I had a master's in environmental science. I was an outdoor educator, and I knew my fiance, Bree, at the time, who was already pretty high up in the echelon for the park ranger system. So I had a really good reference. So that was the things that kind of got me in the door. Um, what was interesting is that they really liked my background because the majority of people who were trying to become a park ranger or were a park ranger were more into the law enforcement aspect of it. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, by by far. And they wanted some people who were more on in the natural resources side of it and the educational side of it, which is the minority. Um, so they, they saw me as kind of an, a new kind of face that could do some things that other rangers weren't really wanting to put on their plate, which is totally fine. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of how I got my foot in the door with being a park ranger. And so, well, so that wasn't in Rocky Mountain National Park. That was just the park system in the same county as Rocky Mountain National mm. Park. And then I applied for a job in Rocky Mountain National Park. And since I was a park ranger in the same county already, they said, oh, this guy must be perfect. He's like, he already knows all the plants and everything. Let's get him right in. He's already like a park ranger here. And yeah, so working at the Rocky Mountain National Park was a very different experience as well. Well, why? Like, it's just like the rules being like state park versus national park or, um, I mean, I go to Rocky Mountain like every other weekend, so I can see the difference. But from your perspective, working there in the quote unquote law enforcement of it, what did you experience? So, right. So that's exactly it. So I wasn't a park ranger in Rocky Mountain National Park. I was a biological science technician. However, to everybody in the world, I'm a, I'm a ranger. I look like a ranger. I have the hat. I have the uniform. I have all the other stuff. And one of the running jokes about working in the being a biotech for a national park is that everybody thinks you're a ranger. And it's not just working being a biotech in the national park system. It's anybody who works for 
in the national park must be a ranger the maintenance the custodians the administrative people like we all have the same uniform on basically and so everybody says oh go ask the ranger go talk to the ranger so i was a biological science technician and i was not in the law enforcement this is what i kind of i was really excited for i was more on the science side of things um I, we would do um reforestation seeding invasive species removal uh probably my favorite day which we did not do very often it was a rare occurrence but uh one time we had to wrangle a moose out of an enclosure because he was eating all the native species it was like a fenced in enclosure and oh he actually got in <laughs> we actually got in and we had to wrangle him out of there which was awesome i didn't never saw a moose before i worked the rocky mountain then saw them all the time uh but yeah so it was not law enforcement the rain the actual park rangers who carry a gun in the park are totally law enforcement and they are, have a very different job than biotechs and we barely even talk actually. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a tough job. It was very physically demanding. Uh, being in, doing the invasive species was 90% of the job. And I mean, we're, we had some hot summers and you have to wear long sleeves rubber gloves, long pants, and carrying around this like 20 pound backpack full of like the, the, the spray that you're spraying these plants with. And man, it just got so hot. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a very different experience than I was expecting it to be, but really, I mean, nothing beats going to Rocky Mountain every day for work. And one of the projects we did was on Trail Ridge Road. So every mm. day we would be at the very top of Trail Ridge Road planting these like thousands of native grasses and species. And it was just really fun. Oh, you must have seen some amazing things up there and crazy storms that you probably had to run away from all the time. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the lightning situation is real. We had a whole Noah had to come in, give us a talk and being like this many people die of lightning strikes every year here. Um, if you're up on Trail Ridge Road, which is where we were, they're like, well, sometimes you won't even know. And like that these storms are coming in. And I remember my boss, who I loved, was saying, he's like, yeah, so, you know, sometimes there's going to be lightning storms up here, guys. And then somebody was saying, well, what do you do when like this happens? And he's like, well, sometimes it's, it's just your time to go. Oh my like, God. Yeah, I was like, wow, okay. All right, I, I see how it is. Okay. On your headstone, it was just his time <laughs> to go. <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, I was a bit of a shock, but was, all right, <laughs> I guess that's how it goes here. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I mean, I can see that. The last time, right before Trail Ridge Road closed this past season, um, I mean, a storm, I mean, it's at the end of the season that it was open. So of course the weather can do anything at that time. But out of nowhere, this storm rolled in and I was like, we need to get off the mountain now. Like mm -hmm. now. <laughs> so we, we darted off. And then of course, once you get back to like, you know, deer mountain then it was perfectly fine it was yeah. just right there uh, on that range yeah oh. and you and you always hear horror stories like there's there's people die in rocky mountain every year because i mean the, the size of the mountains and like the drops that that can happen in the weather and the animals that are there so you always have to kind of be a little careful i mean there's you know it's a it's a crazy place to work for a bit oh i imagine yeah respect yeah. nature so actually <laughs> I would love to hear what is the craziest thing that you experienced or saw when you were there? Hmm. Let's see. Oh, well, I would say probably the craziest, the craziest and, uh, or most fun thing. So definitely the, the moose wrangling was maybe one, one A or one B, but the other uh, story was also a moose story. And that was when I was going out with the wildlife biologist and they had to, collar the moose and collar moose that weren't collared yet and i just remember i went out with uh the team of them and we had to basically like stalk these moose like we were like 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 navy seals or something and we had like their like walkie talks like okay the moose is moving three steps to the left like at six <laughs> o'clock and the person's like all right we're gonna work our way around and like we'd be like moving super quiet and then I remember setting up with a person and they would be like, like having their, the tranquilizer pointed right at it. Be like, all right, don't move. And then just like shooting them and like chasing the moose after and trying to follow it. And I remember the moose got away and we were just running so fast trying to catch up with it. And it was, just, we didn't get it. 
but it was just like, wow, this is an insane experience. I, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, you know, I never thought I would ever be like seeing a moose, let alone like running after one that we just shot with a tranquilizer gun in Rocky Mountain National Park. It was like crazy experience, but stuff Were you like, like that. in the trees? I mean, I'm, I, I know the terrain so well. So just picturing running after a moose in the terrain of Rocky Mountain sounds insane. Do you, do you, do you know, um, sheep lakes? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's in that area. So you wait to see the moose, hopefully in one of these big grassy areas so that you're not in the crazy terrain, but if they run up the mountains or somewhere else, and they're basically gone at that point. Another actually really good story that uh, was probably one of the most scared I've ever been in the field was when we were in the enclosure, what would happen all the time is that elk or moose would get into these enclosures that are sealed off to have native plants grow. They don't want any of the local mammals eating them so that they can regenerate. And so there was this elk group uh, that got into this enclosure of willows. And I don't know if you've seen willows. I'm sure you've seen it because you've been the park. I don't know if you knew what they were, but they're this big, massive, bushy looking plant. Like you, they're like 10 feet high, maybe higher, really thick and dense. Not like a weeping willow, more like a really kind of big bush, I guess you could say. And there was like these big elk that were in this enclosure and they're like, all right, you got to get them out. But you can't see more than two feet in either direction of you, really. There was like some path pathways and game trails for the elk to take, but we knew that the elk were there, but we couldn't see them. And one thing that they said was, all right, if the elk start running, you have to get behind something because if they, they can charge into you, if they're scared and like, they'll kind of just trample you or, you know, that it, it can be bad. And so I remember we were trying to find these elk and we didn't know where they were. And then all of a sudden we just hear like, Oh, we God. hear these footsteps. We can't see anything. You just hear footsteps. Like you hear like a stampede coming right at you. And we were like terrified that you're about to get like totally taken out by these elk. It was just, everybody just jumps behind like any bush or tree or anything that they could find. And you just see this elk whiz right by you. It's like, if you didn't move a second before, you'd totally been taken out. Um, and just crazy stories like that was kind of, I would say the most fun and exciting parts of, of working there. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. Yeah. I mean, because I love just to go see them. And even just running into a very calm group on a hike, and I'm still like, um. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, especially in like when it comes to comes to the rut, it's like then it's like, oh God. I can mm. only imagine what you saw and experienced during crazy hormone time. <laughs> yeah, actually. So during the rut, one time I was there and at Moraine Park, which is kind of like the Oh, I love Marine Park. <laughs> the rut. And, you know, I don't know. If, so you have this massive line of cars parked on the street right next to the field. And I just remember, and, and everybody sits up lawn chairs. People are drinking beers. They're hanging out. People have massive cameras. It's like a real event here. And I remember this elk got on the other side of the cars, this big bull, big antlers. And I remember he couldn't get by and he was just staring at this group of like cars and people, everybody's looking at it. And he just starts like huffing and like, like, oh, like I'm going to go right through you guys right now. And people are getting closer, trying to take pictures. And then you have the, the, uh, bugle brigade who is like the enforcer. Have you heard of these people? No. Okay. So bugle they, brigade. Oh my yeah. gosh. So they are volunteers who come and basically, tell people to move out of elk's way during the rut and don't mm. get too close. And they were just going crazy, get back, move back now. Everybody's like, Oh, sorry. And it just runs through and doesn't hit anybody. But yeah, little stories like that are always, always entertaining to watch it. Very least. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> I mean, so many just being in, in the park, because of course, you know, me, you, us wildlife lovers, we love to go see those natural phenomenon, but then you also have to see all the stupid Mm. And there's times, like when I was on the other side um, of Rocky Mountain National Park, there were these moose bedded down. And this one guy just kept getting closer and closer and closer. And this male was starting to give him some pretty like, don't you dare come closer. And I got so uncomfortable that I told my husband, I'm like, we got to go because I, I can't. 
I can't watch what's going to happen next. Because, you know, when you know, you know, wildlife's behaviors and you can see the signs and he was not okay. And this guy was like 55, 60 years old. And I'm like, if this bull comes at you, you're, you're dead. Like you're just, you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I cannot be a part of this. I cannot be associated. Let's go to Grand Lake and get a beer because I can't, I can't handle what's about to happen. So I'm sure you had to deal with that all the time. All the time. Like (laughs) some of the questions that I got. So it's interesting because I'm in education now and, you know, I have a master's in environmental science. So you think, all right, what type of things should we teach people? And, you know, I I guess sometimes I probably start too high of of a level of thinking, let's start with this stuff because a lot of people don't know the very bare basics of kind of stuff that's going on in the parks. Like some of the questions that we've heard over the years were, okay, so you've been to Trail Ridge Road, which is, I don't know if the listeners know, but it's the highest paved road in America. It's in the Alpine. It's, and so in the Alpine, it's all just grass. It's like short grass everywhere. There's no trees because trees can't grow there. And so people would ask, how often do you have to mow the grass up here to keep it this short? <laughs> oh, we don't, we don't, we don't mow the grass here. And then other questions were like, they, uh, you know, all you park rangers, this is not in, this is now in the normal part of the park in the forest area They go, you know, you should really plant the trees a little further apart. It, it looks so man-made, like clearly people, you guys, you know, planted all these trees. There. I was like, we didn't, we don't plant any of these trees here. This is, this is all <laughs> like, this is just it. This is, this is nature. Uh, trying to think what else, um, kids calling or kids calling, uh, pigs, cows, or just the wrong animals. And it's just really interesting to see where it's like, are, well, yeah, you come here to learn this stuff and I'm thrilled that you're learning it and, and getting these experiences, but to see it where a lot of people, where their knowledge levels at with this stuff is pretty eye opening. Mm. I'm sure that's a good motivator for you to continue on the education path as well. Well, I guess you could say it was a motivator. It was at least knowing where we could set the bar to begin with. Like, mm. let's just do the basics. Let's get the very basics, you know, instilled in people. As a park ranger and as an educator, you know, we'll just teach mm. them, like, the very basics of teaching how this system works. Mm. Awesome. So, I mean, that's perfect. So the next question is, so in the very beginning, you started to bring up Rugged Research um, mm. TV. So... I know that all of us have been pretty affected by COVID and I know that you can also say the same. So, but like, you know, me and, and a lot of people, we, we've made the most out of it. So what happened during COVID? Um, so like after, you know, so you've been a biotech in Rocky Mountain National Park, then this big event happened and luckily you've, you've capitalized on it in a really good way. So take me through that journey and that story that's led you up till now. Yeah. So basically the story of rugged research, it's really a story of bad luck and unfortunate events or I thought so at the time uh, happening. So basically COVID hit. I lost three park jobs in a row. I lost, I lost the first park job. Like, okay, cool. I was expecting that. Then I applied for another park system out here. They said, yep, you got the job. Even though like COVID is happening, we're still going to hire you. No problem. Don't worry about it. Uh, and then a month went by, they said, oh, we're just going to delay it for another month. You know, don't worry, you got the job. Another month went by, oh, we're just going to delay it for another month. Don't worry, you're still totally good. Another month went by, they're like, oh, sorry, COVID, lost our budget, don't have the job anymore. It's like, okay, so it's two jobs. Third job was I was going back to where I was originally a ranger. And I said, hey, can you know, I just lost these two jobs to COVID. Can I work here? They said, yeah, no problem. We'll squeeze you right in. And did that a few weeks went by or I applied to get back in. They said, Oh, sorry, COVID happened. No more budget. We can't give this job anymore. So I lost three jobs in about, well, I guess, well, during the pandemic, I can say, but it kind of happened back to back to back. And everyone told me I was going to have the job. So at this point I was like, Oh God, this sucks. And you know, like everybody else with the pandemic and what happened was, um, so my fiance, my fiance Bree, who I mentioned before, who was you know a high school teacher in the past, worked for the same outdoor education company. She always wanted to have to do a similar company to what they we did in Hawaii, these outdoor expeditions, and and she was a park ranger still this entire time, 
And I always knew that, like, we were always like, yeah, maybe we'll try that one day. And then we were talking, you, you mentioned Rugged Research TV, and we were talking about how, we were talking to like a business friend, like, oh, how, how do we even get people to know about this thing? Like, how do we even get the word out, even if we wanted to? And he was like, oh, why don't you just start doing some online stuff? And I was like, all right, some online content. And so we started going around and filming, going uh, with field biologists and filming what they did and kind of having just following them around and having a fun time with it. And we were like, oh, got to come up with a name. How about rugged research? Sure, that works. It works. <laughs> Sounds good enough. I like me. it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Good enough. Um, so we, uh, we did that. We put out like a few YouTube episodes. Um, and they were, they were fun, got some good reception and, but there was still no idea of like, okay, well, we're actually going to make a company out of this. And then, um, I was applying for one more park job and then they're basically like, okay, we don't know when we're going to open this because of COVID. Uh, cause a lot of the stuff I was applying for was actually, uh, vol the volunteer program coordinator, which brings, it's not a volunteer job. The volunteers come in, you tell them what to do. You take them around. And they're like, well, we're not going to have any volunteers come in. So I don't know what to tell you, Jesse. It's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I was like, you know what? Let's just start this company that we've been talking about starting, this outdoor education group. We already have a really good idea about the backgrounds of the parks here. We've both been park rangers. We, I knew other park rangers we worked with who also wanted to teach in education, but still kind of have that park ranger aspect. And so let's just start it. And so we threw it together. We had a little pilot program the very, I guess it was last summer. And then word kind of caught on a little bit. And yeah, it's been going pretty well. We, so we, we, kids come, we do hikes and we take them to different awesome mountain parks in the area. We give them ranger talks, teach them, you know, we do experiments with them. And we, we're starting small, small groups right now, but already have a, like a wait list going for it. Um, I was surprised that there's not many other things like that in the area, given kind of where we are. It's a very outdoorsy population. Um, and there's a lot of young families here. And so I think a lot of them were kind of looking for something like this. A lot of, a lot of people think that what, we're, what Rugged Research does is I think what a lot of people think most park rangers do. And it's nice to be able to offer this educational aspect of it in parks where we feel so comfortable, where we've been a park ranger, where we kind of know how everything works. And yeah, I've been really enjoying it so far. The kids have been loving it. And yeah, it's year one, but it's going pretty well so far. Oh, that's awesome. So how many like different groups? I mean, I know you said you're starting small, but like mm -hmm. what is small right now for you? So small <laughs> is groups no longer, no larger than four kids, which also is to keep in line with COVID social distancing. Um, and we have three classes, uh, eight, and each class is eight weeks. And you meet once, uh, once a week for three hours for eight weeks. And we do a school year program, which has a lot of homeschooled kids coming. We do, uh, we have a program called Little Rangers, which is for children ages three to six. Uh, which they kind of come and they do these programs with their parents there and one of our rangers. And we also do summer camps wow. for ages seven to 12. Wow. Wow. So, um, so like if they're eight weeks long, so is it one day together and then like the other days are online or is it mostly focused around that one day? No. So it is, so it's all, it's all in person. We basically have four, no, six parks now. We rotate the parks. Every week we go to a different mountain park in the area. And um, yeah, it's all in person. And yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Well, Were there like any hoops you had to jump through or anything oh to like gosh. go to these parks? Like I'm yes. just trying to think from like a regulation level. Yes, yes, yes. What'd you yes. have to go through? <laughs> that is, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of how much regulation stuff we would have to go through um, with the state licensing program, which we're still mm -hmm. in the middle in of getting the license right now. But since we're such small numbers, uh, kind of no problem. Um, but yeah, you have to do, there's so much permitting. You have, to get per, you have to get permits from the actual parks. You have to get permits from each park's um, manager. So different people have to sign off on it. You have to get a license from the state. You have to get zoning permission, sanitation. Uh, you have to make 
this big handbook. You have to do all of your, have to do a lot of trainings, online trainings. Um, you have to get a registered nurse to be on file with you. You have to, um, I'm trying to think what else. I'm, I'm looking at, I have it right here in my bulletin board of other stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, I, it's just an endless amount of stuff here. Um, policies and procedures, uh, child abuse reporting trainings, uh, building and physical premise safety inspection, FEMA training, uh, program leaner experience training, director training. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot, it's a lot of stuff to get the license uh, that we're going through. Um, but yeah, just slowly taking it down one step at a time. Oh, that's awesome. I yeah. mean, just like, uh, like we were talking before we started of how it's uh, sometimes it's, I'm, I'm almost glad that we're ignorant when we start these journeys because yes. you yeah. don't know really what all it's going to take when you start. And it sounds like that also happened to you. Yeah. So it's, it's been lucky because, you know, you never know when, you know, I have to do steps one through 715. You never know if step 312 is the point where it's going to be like, oh, you didn't know you had to do this? Yeah. No, you can't do this at all. Like this is totally off. And I, I remember I was checking out other programs that kind of do similar stuff and I'm reading articles uh, about these programs that get basically dissolved because it's like, yeah, they were doing this stuff and they didn't know that they needed a license. They didn't know they needed a state license. And it's like, you know, I see where you're coming from. I understand that that can happen, but like, yeah, you got to definitely do your research before getting into like starting a program like that. Oh, that's great. So how many, uh, um, how many are of you are together doing this? So there's basically, there's three of us at the core, uh, me and my fiance do the school year programs with another ranger. And then we have another ranger who does, who's in charge of the little ranger program. And we kind of float back and forth doing all of it. Um, but yeah, just three of us right now. Oh, that's awesome. And so are you feeling that this is like giving you more fulfillment in versus like, what are some of the other things you were doing? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely. I, I, it's interesting to think about, I mean, so I've done a lot of research and kind of invasive species removal and, you know, you name it. I've basically done every like entry level environmental science job you can do, I think. This one's interesting because, yeah, it, it, it definitely has this element where it's like, this can be deeply impactful. And within, especially with some of the kids, the conversations we had were kind of like what I was mentioning to you before, where some of these children, you know, they're just starting at a very you know, entry level with this stuff. They just don't know it. And that's perfectly fine. That's why their kids send them to this program to learn about it. And it's just these like, man, really small basic conversations uh, can really change what, how these kids view uh, these ecosystems and these habitats that are kind of right in their backyard. Mm. I love that you bring that up um, because I mean, We've talked a little bit, and I'm sure that you've seen like some of my escapades recently. Um, but you know, I was just in Nepal, and a lot of so the conflict there is insane right now with big, big, scary animals, with big tigers, elephants, rhinos, and a lot of people are dying because of that. Um, wow. And yeah, we can have a conversation offline <laughs> more about that. But one thing I found very interesting as I was interviewing conservationists there is they have found that the strongest tool that they have in their toolkit is through the children. So mm. they've started multiple different educational programs through the, the, through the like school systems where they have these very specific classes that they are teaching them about how to live with tigers, about how to live with leopards and these big animals and from what they told me during our, our interviews when we sat down is that that is where they're having the greatest impact is because then they're teaching these children exactly what to do, how to do it, and why these animals are important and not scary. Um, they're part of the ecosystem. They're part of their lives. And then they are then trans, you know, just giving that information through the family. And it is spreading to, because of course, like the mothers, especially the mothers are going to listen to what their children say Mothers have really great influence on their husbands um, and then also the community as well. So from all the way across the world, literally we are 12 hour time difference. They are also finding something similar um, with, I mean, the consequences are 
way more dire, literally, in their situation. But I love that you bring that up because it sounds like you're also starting to see something similar as well um, by going, by teaching children, then maybe even the whole family might have a different view on the planet and conservation. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, so like you said, maybe the whole family can have a different view. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe, I hope so. But what it seems to be, from my experience as a ranger, is once you kind of get to a certain age, that's kind of, that's your view. That's how you kind of see the world. I had, when, when I was a park ranger, I was working at this park, and I remember this guy just cut off the head of this rattlesnake that was crawling right across the trail, and he picks it in up. In the park? <laughs> in the park. And he shows him, he goes, what should I do with this? And it's just like, like, it's it's just such a, a big difference where it's like, man, I to to kind of re-educate or try to start this person from the beginning would be very difficult. Um, so starting at a young age is really, really important just to being able to kind of shift their views and kind of get them at that early age before they have these uh, ideas that are just so ingrained and built in that you can kind of still really get to them. It's mm. really important. Yeah. 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 And like just, just the conservationists I um, met with in Nepal said the exact same thing. They pretty much stopped trying to talk to the older generations because they weren't having any breakthroughs because mm. nobody wanted to change behaviors because changing no. behavior is very, very hard. But when you're starting to imprint it as a child, will hopefully grow up with these new values then that'll just be the way they always live their lives and then teach their children right and and not that all older people won't change their behaviors but it seems as if the the older generations you know and i don't, I don't mean old i mean like 25 and up yeah uh, yeah those, the people who are that age that are open to thinking differently are the people who are already very well informed about ecosystems and environmental stewardship and they'll be like oh okay i didn't know that i'll take that into consideration and those just aren't really the people you have to worry about you know there are people who are coming who are like i said they come to the parks just to kill rattlesnakes like those people come out there there's people who come and they just want to feed doritos to the deer in the park and you know there's just people that are just very far from where the where you think the kind of bar should be that Starting young is the way to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good. It sounds like you really feel like you've you found something or sounds like you really feel like you found something, you know, and what you're doing. Well, yeah, it's I mean, I got to say it's it's working. The kids are loving it. They're having a blast. They, they love video games. And it seems like this is one of the only times when they're not on their screens where they're coming out and having time uh, to kind of hang out. We had spring break the other week and one of the kids said, what do we need spring break for? Every time we're here, it's spring break. This is the fun place to be. I was like, oh, that's sweet. Oh, that had to <laughs> yeah. be super rewarding. Yeah, it was really nice. And so, yeah, it's going great. Um, the kids are loving it. I think the kids, like, they see themselves as they want to be. They've told me they want to become a park ranger one day. And I think it's, yeah, it's a great, it's a good time for something like this. Mm -hmm. Really imprinting on them young. Yeah. That's so awesome. Oh, that's great. That's great. So um, the next thing I love to ask, um, and you can say whatever you want, but from, I mean, you've taken us down your journey, which has been quite winding, and mm -hmm. I'm sure you had some very low moments, but from what you've been through, what do you think was your biggest struggle? Or if you're even currently experiencing one, what is in your history, your biggest struggle that you've had to get through? Uh, the biggest struggle was definitely COVID, losing three jobs back to back to back. Because after you lose three jobs, you're just like, well, who's hiring right now? We're in the middle of a pandemic. I, like, what am I even supposed to do? And especially with with our type of work, it is so seasonal. It, this is, it's not an easy career path to get into. There are entry-level jobs, but I would say 90% of them are seasonal uh, you know, you're working in the springs and summer, and then basically for the fall and winter, they're just like, well, good luck. Well, maybe we'll see you back next year. Apply, and we'll see what happens, you know? And there are also jobs that don't pay very well. And so basically when I lost the three jobs too, it was the very, like, 
the timing was just totally off. Nobody was hiring at that point. And so I was almost forced to think of, okay, I need to create something. I need to think of some way I can start producing an income with my environmental science background. And so, you know, you know, COVID, like many other things, or like many other people, you know, there's awful things that come from it. And it kind of forces a lot of people to do things that they weren't planning on doing before, kind of like, like you mentioned with your podcast. And so it kind of put the fire under my butt. And, you know, this really awful thing turned into, you know, possibly the career for the rest of my life. Hmm. I'm glad that you were able to find something beautiful out of something so not fun. And and also, I I was going to say, and also find a way to monetize it, um, to find it, to make it actually into an income stream. Like, I don't know, we don't, you don't have to talk about financials by any mean, but the fact that you're already getting some sort of income from what it is that you do. And what I love about your story is that you made it happen. You know what I mean? Like you found a way through your education and what you do to get an income like from it. Cause, um, one thing I've been, I mean, I still, this podcast doesn't make any money or anything. Um, if if anything, it's (laughs) it's a negative, but that's fine because I'm getting so much fulfillment out of it. Um, but, you know, like being in, you know, I work at a real estate tech startup right now. It's like just to make the ends meet and just really just trying to um, hone and like whatever message I've been saying recently is sometimes you got to put your big adult pants on and find a way to make it work yourself mm-hmm. instead of just thinking that you have to be a, that have to have a job like someone else gives you the opportunity instead of making the opportunity yourself. And you're like, you're the perfect example of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it wasn't the plan. <laughs> you know, I, I was, one of the reasons I went to environmental field work and stuff was like, okay, I'll work for cool companies all the time. There'll always be some, you know, nonprofit or something that I'll be able to work for um, that I'll feel really passionate about. That'll have a really great mission statement. And, you know, something that I've learned through working, just trying to find a path with environmental science field is that it is tough to, like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, to, to monetize environmental science. There is, you know, there's kind of a lot of talk going on in our field right now about how difficult it is for young people to kind of make it in this field because you have to have years of experience volunteering or doing something But how do you support your own life when you have to volunteer for two or three years before, you know, you even get a job or even for, for me, I was working like one of the the more uh, kind of one of the best jobs that you could have in environmental science world is working in a national park, even though is, is that's seasonal for the, you got to work seasonal jobs there for five years before you get a full-time job at the national park. Um, so it's not easy. It is a very difficult kind of job to kind of hash it out in. But I mean, if you could find that path and just like, you kind of can't take it personally or else you will really just become really depressed and battered down. And if this may sound silly, but if you have kind of low expectations and kind of just go wherever the wind takes you, keep your feet moving, see what opportunities are present around you at that time, working with whatever stuff you want to work with or in the general area, you know, maybe, you know, you can get lucky and make something happen for you, but yeah, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's really tough. It's really tough. And on that, I mean, you just gave some really great advice, but um, I always love to open the floor as well. And is there anything, is there like a particular message that maybe you were told or like a life I don't know, motto or something that you love to live by that you would love to share of like what gets you through or any advice that you would love to give anybody listening? I would say kind of like what I mentioned before, just got to keep moving your feet, you know, especially when you're just getting going in the first few years of this. Um, I think it is, it is so competitive now. There is, because there, there's not that much money in environmental science already, you know, because how do you turn a profit from a park or something? You know, if you're a government agency, okay, people are paying for that stuff. But, you know, for friends who are, you know, bankers, working in real estate, or, you know, they're, what they're doing generates money. 
environmental science, we are about conserving something, keeping something how it is and not putting anything there to make money from it. That's like a big thing that we do. It's like, no, just leave it. Just, just leave it there. Just don't touch it, you know? And it's hard to, to get money happening from there. So you, you just got to keep, keep, keep your feet moving. Uh, when you don't get the job that you want, because I can't tell you how many jobs I've applied to where I'm totally qualified for it that I don't even hear back from. And I remember being on the other side of it when I was working at the park, hearing about how many people applied for these positions. And, you know, like 200 people applied for three slots on our crew. And it's like, and all of these people are really well qualified. They have great backgrounds. And just to not get like, just don't say to yourself, wow, I can't believe I didn't get that job. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm useless. Keep on applying. Like, Seriously, like I've had friends in the park service who I think they said they applied for 400 jobs. If, if you want to work in the National Park Service, just keep keep on doing it, keep on doing it. And just just know that it's not you that is it's the reason that, you know, you're not getting these jobs. It's just that there's a lot of competition right now. And when you when there's an opening that can be, you know, when you can kind of squeeze your way in, take advantage of it and see what you can do from there. Hmm. Yeah, that was great. I love to tell a story that my last job that I did, I lost from COVID, but <clears throat> I was not going to let them tell me no. So I applied <laughs> to three different jobs and the third application turned into a different job opportunity. And that is how I got in the door. And it was, I was just being everybody's bitch. Just like, I was like, <laughs> I don't care yeah. what I have to do. I will do, I mean, it wasn't at all what I wanted at all. Like so underneath like my, my capacity that I could have done. Um, and my work ethic, I mean, it was ridiculous, but it got me in the door. Cause I was like, you are going to hire me and I'm, you're just going to hire me. And so it took, <laughs> it took like the four different roles for me to get hired at that company. Wow. Um, yeah. And, but I mean, it just shows what perseverance can do. It's like, I don't, until you tell me, Brooke, I'm not going to hire you, then I'm just going to keep on applying until yeah. you do. <laughs> yeah. And like with our field, you really have to have that mentality. It mm -hmm. It is not like a field where it's like, you know, I have friends who are doctors where it's like, okay, you do this first and you do residency, then you do this and you, it, it is there is not a ladder like that. You really have to kind of carve your own path, make your own path happen. And it's it's just a, a truth of our field. And as long, I think if you go into the field knowing that, then it could be much more enjoyable than going to the field and saying, I have my master's, I've worked here for two years and nobody will hire me now. I don't understand what's happening because Basically, I think a lot of people get really depressed when they're saying, I don't understand why I can't get a job anywhere. I've applied this, like that, that is our field. And if, if you can know that going into it and you're still okay with that, then I think you'll be fine. Hmm. And there's always a whole bunch of volunteer opportunities as well in the meantime to fill up that resume, to find your fulfillment um, while you're working at the gym, while you're bartending, while you're a waitress, like it's okay just make your bills, exactly. make ends meet and find your fulfillment however you can. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you, as if you're okay with working another job to get that volunteer experience and you just know, I got to put in a few years here or, you know, you will get a seasonal job. Eventually it'll happen if you just have enough experience and then put in a few years there, you know, I'll work for the spring and summer. And then in the winter and fall, I'll, you know, I was a bartender. I worked at a gym. I worked at a, in a kitchen. I did all this other stuff to kind of supplement it. Um, yeah, that's kind of the way you you gotta go. Mm -hmm. And I think hearing that is very helpful from two people who've been in the field for a while now, who have been through some big ups and downs. Because you know, it's it's just so easy to highlight all the good stuff. It's like you know, I you know, me and my fiance, uh, yeah. Rocky Mountain Park <laughs> Rangers. Like that sounds like the dream, you know. Right. And it's like, and I worked for this really famous conservation travel company, and like, and we both have masters. Like, those are just highlights. Like, right. There are tons of lows in between those. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jesse, this has been so much fun. I, you're amazing. And this has been great. And so if anybody listening wants to get 
a hold of you or look, read more about Rugged Research or follow Rugged Research TV, what's the best way to go about that? Um, well, we're on all the social medias. <laughs> we have, we're on Instagram and Facebook, Rugged Research. Rugged Research is our, like our local Instagram for what we're doing, but Rugged Research TV is kind of like our YouTube show and it's kind of more geared towards the general public than kind of what we're just doing here in Northern Colorado. Uh, but yeah, those are two ways to find us. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I, I would be happy anytime I see something posted to share it as well. <laughs> I mean, Great. <laughs> it's it's going to take all of us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It really will. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jesse. Thank you. I had a blast. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet. <laughs>